So I've only got 20 minutes, so I'm going to get going quite quickly. Uh, as you heard, my name's Duncan. I'm at Christchurch here. It's a privilege to speak to you this morning. Um, it is estimated that around 80 million people died in World War I and World War II. Staggering number. And as you all know, Winston Churchill famously wrote, never in the field of human conflict has so much been owed to so many by so few. But this morning I want to talk about debt, and I want to talk about an even greater enemy. And that enemy is sin. All conflict starts in the heart. All wars start in the heart. World War I was described by H.G. Wells as the world war to end all wars. But it didn't. And that's because there's something deeply wrong in the human heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The human heart is desperately sick with the pollution of sin. Everything we do is affected by sin. In that respect, we are no better than even our worst enemies. The whole world has the same heart condition. In Romans, it says, for all have sinned. Sin just means doing things our own way instead of God's way. And the Bible says that death only exists because of sin. It's an alien intrusion into our world. And I'm not just talking about physical death that separates us from this world, but also spiritual death that separates us from God. And we call that partition. It says in Isaiah, your iniquities, which means sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's the default position for you and for me. Hearing about sin is not pleasant, but it is necessary. Now, some of you might be thinking, hang on, this is not for me. I'm a good person. But it depends who you're comparing yourself to. If we compare ourselves to those who commit the evils of war, then it's easy to think we're good people, isn't it? I've done that. What about some of the icons in history like Mother Teresa, the Pope, or Florence Nightingale? Now it's not quite so easy, is it? Provided we believe we're as good or better than the people around us, we're very content. But that's not the standard we should be aiming for. God says that he is the standard. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means the standard of God. So we don't have an advantage over anybody, no matter, regardless of what they've done. And in Romans 3, it says, do we have any advantage? Not at all, because we have already made the charge that we are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And life, I found, is all about relationships. Sin affects how we relate to each other, doesn't it? As individuals and as nations. I was at a concert on um, uh, Friday night at the Royal Academy of Music. One of my ex-students was performing there. Um, and while I was listening to the music, um, I reflected on the fact that everyone there who was playing 
to an incredible world-class standard, was made in God's image. And because they were made in God's image, they could create. We were made to create, that our creator creates. It's in his name. And they were creating beautiful music. But we can also create architecture, technology, art, literature. But the same people that can create such beautiful things, we can also do ugly things. We can be selfish and we can hurt each other. In the Bible, in Corinthians, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And Jesus said that we should love our Lord God with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. No one has done that perfectly, not even for one second of their life. So it's quite a sobering opening. But God is just. Okay, that hasn't come up in the right order, but never mind. God is just. While preparing, I'm just going to go back. While preparing, I felt God showed me that some people could be angry at this message. They might be thinking, I will judge if I have sinned, not God. I'll decide if I'm good or bad. But God calls that pride. Pride is the biggest barrier between you and God because you're saying to him that you'll be your own God, thank you, and that you don't really need him. And there are lies that we often believe which create barriers. A common lie is that God does not send ordinary people to hell because we think that would be disproportionate and unfair. Here's how the Irish preacher David Kingdon explained it. This really grabbed me, and I had to include it because it's just so sobering. He said, Sin against the Creator is heinous to a degree, utterly beyond our sin-warped imagination's ability to conceive of. So, who would have the temerity to suggest to God what the punishment should be? So there's pollution of sin, there's partition that separates us from God, and there's eternal punishment. You can't, God can't overlook sin because then he wouldn't be just. And even our best effort would never remove the sin from our lives. So what hope is there for us? Well, thankfully, what is impossible for man is possible for God. And here comes the good news. Thank you for sitting through that. God is love. Now, there were two words brought this morning, one by Chris and one by um, uh, Rob, and they're both in my preach. They're what God put on my heart, and they had no idea I was going to preach on this. It says in uh, John's Gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God hates your sin, but he loves you. Our Heavenly Father's love is the deepest we can ever know. The Apostle John wrote that God is love. That love is his very nature. Love is not a feeling. It is the conscious act of doing what's best for others. I find Wayne Gruden's definition a huge challenge to me. He said, God's love means that he eternally gives of himself to others. 
And the theologian A.W. Tozer once stated, nothing God ever does or ever did or ever will do is separate from the love of God. Amen. Compared to God, our love is so limited and flawed due to sin. God loves us even more than we can love our own children. I know that there would be parents here who would be willing to die to protect their children or grandchildren. I understand that. Your love for them is beyond words. So at first glance, it's hard to believe that God loves you more than that or that our love is flawed. But God's love is so deep, so limitless, so unconditional that he died to protect those who hate him and even for those who are evil. He loves them like you love your children. That's outrageous love. I can't understand that. It says in Romans 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, that means a person who always does what's right, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God feels such deep anguish about the punishment for our sin. He died for his enemies, for the worst of mankind. It says in Romans that he died for his enemies. I can't see that, but I think it's in the wrong place. Um, We all cry out for justice when we hear of evil acts. In the same way, God pursues justice for all sin, no matter how small, because sin is the very antithesis of his nature. His judgment is that we all deserve eternal punishment. Jesus said, these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So that's God's justice. Justice hung on the cross. Please don't take my word for it if you're a visitor today. It's the Bible, it's not me. There's no book of Duncan. (laughs) The Bible makes it clear. Please read it for yourselves. I love what Francis Chan said about this. He said, there are parts of the Bible I don't like, but I believe that God is right and that I am wrong because God is righteous. And he also said, I don't understand why people are so casual about what they believe. If this is what the Bible says, you can't be casual about it. It really is a life or death decision. You better know for sure where you're going. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He did not die for good people, but for all people, showing no favoritism, and we call that grace. And now my slide's in the right place. The Apostle Paul called himself the worst of all sinners, forgiven and loved by God. He prayed that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the depth and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So on the cross hung justice and hung love. Despite Jesus' love, the Jewish priests made false accusations against him. They spat in his face and they struck him with their fists. 
He was tied to a pillar, and a whip of leather cords with sharp pieces of bone was used to hit his back. His flesh and his skin would have been ripped from his back, and then stripped naked, he was nailed to a cross. Then God placed our sins upon him as if they became, they became his and not ours. Please don't fall over. <laughs> All God's anger and punishment for your sin, past, present, and future, was poured out in one go upon Jesus. Justice and love came to earth in the person of Jesus and voluntarily took your punishment for you. Justice was carried out so that we can go free. And as he hung there in unbelievable agony, he would not have been able to breathe. Eventually, he died. In the greatest act of love, Jesus poured himself out on the cross for you. And that brought victory. The greatest victory there has ever been. The war has been won against sin. The debt that we owe has been paid. Having forgiven our trespasses by nailing, sorry, by cancelling the record of our debt that stood against us, he nailed it to the cross. But there was one last enemy for Jesus to destroy, death. After three days in the tomb, Jesus was raised back to life. When you repent, you are raised back to life with him and given a new eternal spiritual life. Then God places his righteousness in you and his Holy Spirit in you, and he begins to remove the pollution of sin from your life. He restores you. So pollution begins to be removed, and he gives you righteousness instead. It says in Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. You don't need to clean yourself up before you come to church, before you come to God. It's the other way around. You come to God, and then he cleans you. When God's spirit works in you, it is impossible to stay the same. The Holy Spirit will give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, victory in your life. And the partition is removed so that you can come into a relationship with your Father. It says in Ephesians, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And punishment is not necessary. Instead of punishment, you receive forgiveness and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there's no more pollution, there's no more partition, and no more punishment. What an amazing victory that he has won for us. You become a child of God. God gives us a new identity and calls us conquerors. Romans 8 that Rob read out. Uh, sorry, that was Chris, wasn't it? In fact, he calls us more than conquerors because it is impossible for anything to separate you from God ever again. What a great victory. One that will last for eternity. Now you can have a place in heaven where there will be no more wars, 
No more crying, no more pain, and no more death. Now, as I was preparing, I said earlier, some people will be thinking, I'll judge if I've sinned. God says that's pride. Pride is the biggest barrier between you and God. The Bible says God detests the proud. He detests them. He opposes the proud. You can't be your own judge just as a corrupt organization can't self-regulate. There must be a higher court. Jesus said, unless you turn, which means humble yourself and repent and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And the greatest preacher, Charles Spurgeon, wrote, humility is to have a right estimate of oneself. Just to give us some perspective, God only allows you to sit here and live because he's sovereign. It's by his mercy and his patience that you can even breathe right now. I love what Francis Chan says. He says, to get some perspective, he said, except for God, the angels in heaven are the most powerful beings in the universe. If just one angel appeared here, you'd be shaking in terror. But in the book of Revelation, it says that there are a hundred million angels circling the throne of God and worshipping him. And they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. A hundred million of the most powerful beings. We can't even see God's face. If we saw his face, we would just be burnt up in a second. Despite all that power and glory, Jesus chose humility. Historically, in the Middle East, um, a king would ride through the city on a horse. And it, it, you know, it's a kind of propaganda spectacle. Here's, um, here's one, that's Saddam Hussein. He fancied himself to be a great... He actually called himself King of Kings, I think, unfortunately. There's another one. Modern-day people, they still love to show off on horses as if they're great victors. But Jesus, the King of Kings, creator of the universe, chose humility by riding on a donkey. And the people understood that. Not a prancing steed, not in royal robes, but in the clothes of the poor and the humble. He is the king of peace, not war. Not to conquer by force like earthly kings, but by love. And Paul said, in humility, love others above yourselves. Have the same mindset as Christ. By He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even death on a cross. Therefore, he deserves to be exalted to the highest place. And he's given the name that is above every name. At that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That is our God. Spurgeon wrote, the greatest conquerors on earth have only been death's slaughtermen. But Jesus slaughtered death. And Jesus is the lamb that was slain. Now, there's a story um, of uh, uh, Churchill. When he was at Chequers during the Second World War, he got a phone call to say that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. And he later wrote that it was the best night's sleep he'd ever had, which is kind of, at first glance, you think, well, that's a strange reaction. But actually, it was because he said, at last, we have won. 
because he knew that the whole might of the American army was going to come into the war and that the end was certain. When God is on your side, it is impossible to lose. So I'm saying, do you want to uh, be on the side that has won? When you say sorry for your sins and invite him into life, you have God in your life. And I think because time's pressing, I'm going to show the little video now. So I'm just going to show this. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burglar houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head, I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder. Uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed him. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact. So they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an Alpha course. Never heard of an Alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God... God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first. That's how God works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got five kids and they're my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad. 
have a life, a beautiful, um, and my life, and this probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Um, Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. So, yeah, it's amazing. God is holding out his hand, if you're not Christian this morning, and he's saying, all day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their imaginations all day long. He's holding his hand out to you and saying, he's removed the sin, come. You're saying, I'm not good enough. He's saying... Nobody is. That's why it's a gift. Come. You're saying, but why won't he let some people into heaven? He's saying, I'm inviting you in. Come. Let's pray. If anyone here feels that they want to do what Shane Taylor did and know the love of God in their life, invite God into your life right now. Overcome that pride. Get out of your trench of pride. Humble yourself. We'll do it in your head. God will hear you, no one else between you and God. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life and for my sin. Thank you that you died on the cross so that I don't have to die. Please come into my life. Amen. If you meant that in your heart, God will see it. If you've got further questions, come and join us on Alpha. We've got one in the summer, and we, we, it's very relaxed. We'll give you a free meal, and you can just ask all sorts of questions. And that video was taken from the Alpha course, and there are lots and lots more videos like that. So if you want to come, and if you're a member of the church, you can only come if you bring someone who's not a member. <laughs> okay, thank you.